Amen. Uh, thanks so much for the warm welcome. Uh, we are glad to be back. Uh, we uh, feel refreshed, ready to go. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something to take that time. And uh, we are so grateful that uh, we were, uh, you know, afforded that, that opportunity. And so, um, yeah, we'd love to share more. Uh, we're going to jump in the lesson now, but, but so, so as I speak to you one-on-one, I'd love to share with you sort of, you know, things that we've learned personally. And uh, hopefully we have come back better than ever. So, amen. All right, so uh, today I'm going to give you the, the thing I want you to take away right up front. Okay, the title, uh, next slide, title of today's sermon that's not my slide. Let's see. Do we have Ezekiel 18? Here we go. So the title of uh, today's sermon is Either Or. Okay? Either Or. And the, the concept of this is that we're going to look today at two passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament on repentance. And, you know, there's, a, there's Ezekiel 18 and then there's Luke 13. These are really parallel passages in many ways. They're only worded a bit differently. And, and in, in Ezekiel 18, the, the wording is repent uh, and live. And in Luke 13, the language is repent or perish. And so I love that God gives us a choice when it comes to repentance, right? <laughs> Either or, we can repent and live or we can repent or perish. But what I want us to leave with, right? And so again, as I'm, as I'm wanting us to, to know up front what I want us to take from today's lesson is that as we go on this journey through particularly Ezekiel 18, I want us to understand how much God loves us, how he deeply longs for us to choose repentance, that he wants us to be successful in this. Right, that, that this repentance, this call to repentance springs from love and a desire for us to do amazing things. So let's jump in, Ezekiel 18. Again, we're going to spend the lion's share of our time today right here in Ezekiel 18, starting actually with the crux of this passage for today, which is verse 30 on your screens. Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own Ways declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And so to frame this passage uh, properly, we need to understand that this section of scripture actually starts with God quoting a proverb, which is kind of cool, right? Next slide. Next one. All right, this is the, uh, this is the proverb that, that God quotes, and it's, you know, it's at the beginning of the chapter. He says, you know, the parent, this is the quote. That, that, you know, God says, this is the proverb that you say among yourselves and that I hear over and over again. And that proverb is that the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Right? 
And again, you probably understand the sentiment of this proverb, especially if you've ever eaten sour grapes, right? And that, that is, you know, there's, there's a bitterness. There's an edge to that. There's something that does not taste good. You bite into this thinking you would get something sweet, and instead you get something sour. But in this case, the person who's eating it is not getting the sour taste. It's their children. And so the sentiment of this proverb is, you know, in, in, in that day, the days of the exile, which is when this was, the people of the exile, they're saying to each other, hey, this, we're paying for the sins of our fathers. God is punishing us because of the things that they did. And there's nothing we can do about it. God's making us pay for that. And literally, we're just, we just have to take it. We just have to take that bitterness like, like someone eating sour grapes. And so, you know, this is intense because this way of thinking, you would be amazed at how prevalent this was. And take a look at the next slide. This is all over the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, verse 29, you know, it's the same thing. God addresses the same proverb when he talks through Jeremiah. And then in Lamentations chapter 5, it's not the same proverb, but it's the same expression. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. And so why does God quote this passage? Right? Why, why would he start off with a proverb like this? Why would this be the place where he says, hey, this is the beginning of my conversation with you about repentance? Well, it's because he rejects it completely. God literally refuses to accept this proverb as being valid in the way that they're saying it. That's intense. In fact, God says, I reject this proverb so utterly that I'm going to see to it that it no longer is said in Israel. I'm going to wipe it out of Israel. Now that's intense. And so to quote this passage the way they were quoting it, to quote this proverb, is for them to say that God is unjust. That's, that's what's thinly veiled by this this proverb, this witty proverb is a, is, a, is a subtle way of saying, God, the way you are treating me is unjust. You're treating me badly as a result of what someone else has done. And God rejects it. And to illustrate his point, take the next, next slide. To illustrate his point, God uses three generations. And he describes them. And we don't have time to go through all of it, but it's a great read to go back and see how he disarms their argument as, as they use this proverb against him. He starts by talking about a righteous man who's born in one generation. And he follows God's decrees and laws faithfully. And, and you know, at the end of that, you know, God lists so many things that he does well. And he says, what's going to happen to this guy? He says, well, of course, he's going to live. 
because he followed my laws and my decrees and he did what was right in his generation. He will live. And then he says, well, suppose that righteous man has a wicked son. And he says, this son is nothing like his dad. He's the complete opposite. He does everything uh, on his own, right? He rejects my laws, rejects my decrees. God says, what's going to happen to him? He says, well, the righteousness of his father can't save him. Can't save him. He says, that man, no matter if he had the most righteous parents in the world, he's going to die for his own sins. But he says, let's take it another generation. Let's say that this wicked man has a son who is nothing like his dad. He goes all the way back, and he's as righteous as they come. He's the righteous grandson. And he goes back, and he's once again following God's decrees, and he's keeping his laws and his commandments. He says, well, what's going to happen to him? Is he going to be punished for the wickedness of his father? God says, absolutely not. He's going to live. So he says, I reject your proverb and the thoughts behind it that I would be wicked to you, right? According to the proverb here about the sour grapes, the son of the wicked father should be judged for the actions of his own dad. But he's not. And so take a look at the next slide because God says there's some truth that you're unwilling to accept. And that's in verse 25. And he says, yet as you say, yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear you, Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous man turns from the righteousness and commits sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they've committed, they will die. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they've committed and does what is just and right, they will save their life. Because they consider all the offenses they've committed and turn away from them, that person will surely live. They will not die. Yet the Israelites say, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways Unjust people of Israel, is it not your ways that are unjust? You know, this is intense, right? Because when you look at this, there's a lot you have to understand. You can't oversimplify this. Because the Israelites were living as exiles, and they're not the ones who sinned to get them there. That's the truth. It's not like they sinned and now, because again, this is, this is a long stretch of time. These folks are paying in one sense. It is true that they're paying in one sense for the sins of the folks that came before them because they're suffering in the exile as exiles because of the sins of their forefathers. But they're so focused on the faults of the people that came before them that they lost sight of the things that they were doing that needed to change. And it's intense, right? You know, because being in exile was 
intense. It was really challenging. They, you know, when you go back and see all that they had to endure, it was absolutely challenging. But, but God says, you don't understand. You're only looking at what caused you to have to be here, which was the sins of other people. But you're using that to avoid looking at the sins you're committing. It's like you have this get-out-of-jail-free card because now all you have to do is say, oh, well, we're here because of someone else's sins that you don't even look at your own sins. And so God makes it clear. He says, you're blaming me. You've got this witty little proverb that you use, and you're blaming me when you have to look at your own actions. You're self-deceived when you think that your ways are not unjust. And so there were two things, next slide, two things that kept them in that mindset. Uh, one more. Yeah, one more, thank you. And so two things kept them in that mindset. The first thing is that they were using, and, and again, I'm, I'm sharing this about them, but I'm hoping we look at ourselves. Right? What were they doing that kept them in the mindset? Well, two major things that I can see. One is that they were using a legitimate concern to remove the responsibility that belonged to them. Again, the exile wasn't their fault. But, but it becomes the issue that, that no one then can challenge them on their sins. No one can say anything about their sins because the answer is always our forefathers. It was their fault. The things that we're dealing with now, it's somebody else's fault. You know, the people that came before me, if they hadn't messed it up so bad, I wouldn't be dealing with things the way they are now. It's easy to point the finger behind us. Always easier to do that. And it doesn't mean that there isn't some validity to that, but if we use that instead of saying, and I've also got my issues that I've got to deal with, then we're, we're doing the same thing they did. The same thing. Again, it's why do I think the way I do? Well, it's because of the exile. Why am I doing this or not doing this? Well, it's because of the exile. You know, and God says, you know, when you take away the exile, you're still doing things that are not right. And you've got to repent about those things. So that was the first thing. But the second thing is, and this is a tricky thing, right? Because that mindset that they had led them to start believing that they were victims. God's not providing the justice that I'm looking for. God's not answering the prayers that I've been praying. And until God does what only God can do, well... We're just stuck now, aren't we? I, I can't do anything, right? I, I can't consider what I need to do or I need to think about or how I need to change because, one, I'm not here because of me. I'm here because of someone else's fault. And God's the one who has me here. If God was just, I wouldn't be here. And what can I do because he's God? He's God. And so how do, we, how do we relate to this? Well, we may not use the same proverb, 
but we may have the same mentality. Right? I've seen myself have this mentality, right? Where we, we've got to think through our interactions in challenging situations and especially with difficult people. Because whenever you and I justify sinful thoughts and behaviors because of what someone else is doing, we're doing what they are doing. When was the last time you said or thought, well, I'm only doing this because the so-and-so is doing that. If they weren't doing this, then there would be no need for me to have this attitude, thought, whatever, that is not godly. Right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's so intense because in the moment, I've said that, and, I, and in the moment, I'm like, that sounds absolutely logical. Right? Like, I could, I could see myself talking to God with, like, look at them. You see how they're acting? As soon as they change, I'll change. How about that? So, God, do that thing you do. Work on their heart. And once you work on their heart, I'll work on my heart. How about that, God? God's like, how about you repent? Right? Because clearly, you need to repent. And so, whatever, whenever you and I justify sinful thoughts, sinful behaviors because of what someone else is doing, we're minimizing or ignoring our responsibility to repent. And so is there anyone right now that you're blaming for behavior that you should change? And this, I see this all the time, wives, husbands, parents, parents with their kids, roommates, family members, extended family members were like, And again, imagine you're in front of the Lord on the day of judgment. And he's like, well, so why did you, why did you have all that bitterness in your heart? Why, why did you always have that sinful behavior toward that person? And you say to the Lord, because they deserved it. How do you think what do you think will happen at that moment? Right? Because again, it sounds good. Like I can make anything that I think in my mind sound logical. But that's why it's good to say stuff out loud to someone else so they can say, absolutely, don't ever, like, no, just no, right? But that's what they were doing. And so it's, it's, it's one thing to wait on God to deliver us from something, particularly something that we are enduring or suffering for because of someone else. But we always have a responsibility to do what's right, even when we're suffering because it's someone else's fault. So let's go back to this passage. Next slide that, that we started with. In Ezekiel 18, verse 30, you know, he says, therefore, and I want you to listen, because I want you to ask, I want to know what you hear in these verses. 
So just listen to this as I read it again, okay? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Next slide. All right, back one more. Back, yeah, thanks. So what do you hear in these verses? Because it's a tricky thing. I want you to think of two things. One, what you hear in these verses. But the second thing I want you to think of is when you tell someone to repent, what is that, where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? Because when I read this passage, man, it's, it's, it is so moving, right? I mean, I hope we hear good news when we hear this call for repentance. One, because we're not judged on the basis of what someone else has done. Praise Jesus, right? Because guess what? You and I can only control one thing. That's what we do or not do, Right? We can never control somebody else. And so the fact that I'm not actually judged on the basis of somebody else's actions or their thoughts or attitudes, praise Jehovah. But that means I've got to repent. That's what that means. And so this is such an emotional appeal. Think about these words that God says in the context that we've looked at it, right? What we've looked at it is, and, and imagine, imagine for a second you're God, right? Because God is saying, hey, I, I want to address this because all of you are using this proverb freely that you think is really witty, but I know that you're using it to say that I'm unjust. Right? Now imagine, again, you're in that situation where Friends and people that you know are making, they have this funny statement about you because they don't want to come out and say that they think you're not being, that you're unjust. Would you feel amused by that? Right? I, I don't think any of us would feel amused. Like, we're not going to be laughing. And, and it might be hard to be gracious when you feel like you're the talk of all these folks who have this proverb that has this negative thing that they're trying to say about you. Right? And so that's what's happening. On top of that, they're completely unaware of their own sin. Like, they, they, they don't believe they've sinned at all. Right? Like, they're, they're so focused on the sins of their fathers that, they, that God's like, you, you think I'm being unjust when you, you have no idea of the sins that you're dealing with, which is why I'm dealing with you in the ways I'm dealing with you. Right? And they believe that their challenges are there because of the sins and mistakes of other people. That every negative thing that they're going through is because of someone else. Right? 
generally speaking. And so how would you respond if that was the case? If you were the focus of a proverb like that? God isn't bitter. God's not saying repent because I'm angry with you and I'm so upset with you because of the way you've treated me. God is saying, I want to clarify the truth that I'm not unjust and that you have sins that you need to repent of. But the focus I have is I want you to be victorious. The reason I'm calling you to repent is because I want you to be successful. I don't want you to die. I want you to live. I want you to repent because I don't take any pleasure in the death of anyone. And so again, I ask, when you want someone to change, and you show them, you talk with them, you say, hey, I want you to repent, what's, what's, where's that coming from? Right? Is it coming from a place of, I'm irritated with you, and I, I hate the fact that you haven't changed this area, and I have no patience with you, and I'm upset right now because of how I feel I'm being treated? Or is it, man, I, I want you to live. I don't want something bad to happen to you because you keep on sinning. I don't, want, I don't want you to have to go through some terrible time or, or some sort of harsh judgment from God or something. Please change so nothing bad happens to you. When you go back and read the Old Testament, you read the book of Daniel, you see this. Daniel was taken against his will. He was probably made a eunuch. He loses everything, right? His chance at a family, his, his hopes and dreams for his life, his connection with his family. He's forced to learn this language that he doesn't want to learn, this, these customs and serve this king who's wicked. And yet Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, Please repent. I don't want something bad to happen to you. That's the example that we can look at. So there's a New Testament parallel, as I've mentioned, Luke 13. I don't think I've got it in my slides here. We do. Amen. Luke 13, verse 1 through 9. This is the New Testament parallel, and I just want to share this because I want us to see that there is no difference in the Old and New Testament when it comes to these, these concepts, whether it's repentance or God's heart and his love for us. In verse 1, Luke chapter 13, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. You know, God's truth about repentance remains from generation to generation. There is no change. There's no change. Because hundreds of years after God addresses the Israelites through Ezekiel, he has, Jesus has to correct the people of his generation in Luke. In Ezekiel 18, the error in thinking was, we're paying for the sins of our fathers, and God is not just in his treatment of us. And so the result of that was we're unwilling or unaware and we can't see our own sins. So we're not repenting. And the message to them was repent and live. Here in Luke 13, the error in thinking is a little different, right? Because the error in thinking is, hey, we think that some sinners or some sins are worse than others, right? Jesus says, hey, you know, you saw these terrible things happen to these people. And the prevailing thought at that time was, if something that bad happened to you, you must be a terrible person, right? And so Jesus says, no, actually, that's not the case. You've got to repent as well. Because The error in thinking was some sinners or sins are worse than others. The result was, well, we don't have to repent of our sins or we don't have to repent of our lesser sins because our sins aren't as bad. Because look at what happened to them. But the message to them was repent or perish. It's two different thoughts, two different errors to correct, but they lead to the same problem, right? It's a lack of repentance. And so each group was convinced that somebody else's sins, whether it was the sins of the fathers who came before us or the sins of these people that all these bad things happened to them, that somebody's sins were worse. And Jesus or God in Ezekiel says, that's not true. It's not true. So what, what, what remains? That last slide. You know, nothing takes away our responsibility to repent. Nothing does. And and the reason that we've sinned doesn't change our responsibility. I'm not going to be able to go to God and give a great reason. I'm not. And so... It could be that you and I are suffering because of something that someone else has done. And and it might be that we have a hard time being convinced that what we've done is as bad as what someone else has done. But nothing takes away our responsibility to repent. And the reality is God loves us and he wants us to succeed. We see the same thing in Luke as we see in Ezekiel. Because in the parable, the caretaker of the vineyard, you know, he gets told, hey, cut that thing down. I keep looking for fruit on this tree. And so why should it take up space? Why should it use the resources? The caretaker says, hey, hey, what? Give me more time. 
Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let me give it some more care. Let me give it some more love. If I can do that, man, I believe it's going to repent. I believe you're going to see the fruit you're looking for. Right? And that's the same sentiment. But the reality is that there is an end date. Because whether the message is repent and live or repent or perish, God wants us to succeed. But here's the reality. God is emotional, but he's not sentimental. God is deeply emotional, but he's not sentimental. If God did not spare Jesus, who never sinned, you and I are going to pay for ours. That's why it's, it's one, great to be a Christian. <laughs> right? There's no pride there. It's just necessity. And if you're not a Christian, then what are you waiting for? Right? What are you waiting for? Right? There is, there, is, there is no such thing as all the time in the world. We have all the time in the world until we don't. And so the blood of Jesus is the only thing that protects us, saves us. But we still have the responsibility to repent. So God, emotional, but he won't be sentimental. Even as he loves us unconditionally, he will not hesitate to carry out his judgment when it's time to do so. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your words, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, because they show your heart and how much you love us and how much you want us to succeed, that this love is so deep and rich and powerful and sincere that it, it goes beyond even the hurt that we've caused you, that, that that is not something that is a stumbling block for you, that you rise above that and you say, regardless of how you may have hurt me, I want you to be successful and for you to repent so nothing happens to you. Lord, help us to hear those words and to hear that heart. And wherever we are, Lord, help us to examine our interactions whether they be with you or with others, God, so that we see areas in our lives in which we are using excuses so we don't change, whether that's because of the way we're being treated by someone or, or, or the way people are talking about us or whatever, that we would, would, would turn that over to you and yet, yet repent ourselves of whatever we need to change. God, thank you so much for Jesus who sacrificed his life for us and Lord, help us imitate his example, but let's run to him so that we can, we can, if we're not Christians, become disciples of Jesus so we can be with you for eternity. Lord, I know that one day there will be a day of judgment. And I pray that all of us are right with you on that day. We love you, Lord, and make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.